praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. It's good to be back in Watertown. Amen at the Jesus Church. Uh, we have been here several times in different seasons, as your pastor has already stated. Amen. And uh, I'm telling you, this is a very unique season that we as the people of God are in. And I'm thankful to be a part of his kingdom. I am privileged to be a part of his kingdom. Like pastor said, I, I don't deserve it. And I can remember where he found me. I didn't find him. He found me. He wasn't lost. I was the one lost. He found me. And I'm thankful that he did. And I, I, I know I have a background. And I know in a congregation like this, uh, there are different backgrounds that we come from. But we're all going one direction. And I'm just believing that I've had a bad background, dysfunction, a divorced upbringing, an abuse, all of these things. But God knows what we bring to the table. So don't disqualify yourself because of your past, what you have done or haven't done. But just say today, you know what? God, whatever you want to do with me personally, I'm up for it. I'm down. Whatever you want to do, let, let, let's, let's see your hand work in my life. Amen? Amen. 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 2 Samuel chapter 21. I'll have you turn there real quick. And then I will give honor to where honors do. Also, uh, I give honor to Bishop Brown. Amen, amen, amen. He's a little smile on his face. But Bishop Brown, his lovely family, it's good to be with them again. And also Pastor Chemis, his family. Everybody's growing up. Everybody, I mean, all the kids and Brother Flores here, Brother Miller. We got to stay with them last time. We got Dave and Ellie, their whole family, everybody. I met Brother Custville there, amen. Oh, man, goodness. Give honor to all of you that are here. You know, we pastor in Colorado Springs now. I, I, I evangelized for about 10 years, and it was at a different church every weekend. But now we're in Colorado Springs pastoring. We've been pastoring for about two years. So you know what that means? That means I know everything now. And if you have any awareness at all, that is sarcasm. Um, but I'm telling you, it's been a, it's been a journey. It's been a journey. I'm just going to preach. 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. We're going to have fun today. Amen? Amen. Then there was a famine in the days of David three years. Year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, or the first king of Israel. Because he slew the Gibeonites, and the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement, that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And this is their response. Let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them whatever it takes to make atonement. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord. And they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. Now just a few more verses. Verse 10. I know I kind of skipped around. I went from 3 to 6 to 9. I, don't, I didn't tell you that. But now verse 10 and Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of harvest until the water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beast of the field by night. 
And it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. And David went and took the bones. Somebody say, he took the bones. He took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabosh Gilead, Gilead, which had stolen them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them. And when the Philistines had slain Saul in Gilboa, and he brought up from thence the bones of Saul. Somebody say the bones. And the bones of Jonathan. Somebody say the bones. His, of Jonathan, his son, and they gathered the bones. Somebody say the bones. Come on, get an attitude. Say the bones. And the bones of them that were hanged, and the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, buried they in the country of Benjamin in Zelah, in the sepulcher of Kish, his father. And they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God was entreated for the land. After that, after they had buried the bones, God, He blessed the land again. And I just want to tell you right now, if you could just look me square in the eyeballs right now. Y'all have something stirred up in the Spirit. Your prayer, your fasting, your consecration, your commitment, your faithfulness has been felt by heaven. Heaven has recognized it, but hell has felt your faithfulness. And I'm telling you, there is something stirred up. It's very rare am I woken up in the middle of the night, warring in dreams and in all kinds of things. But I'm telling you, all I know is that I body slammed some kind of unclean spirit in my dream. I remember. It. I, it was some kind of person. I just body slammed it, woke up, and I knew that there was something that was warring in the spirit. But I'm telling you, God has a word for us. So you may be fighting things and you don't realize what you're facing. But God has a word for us today. So I'm going to preach to you about bury the bones. Somebody bump your neighbor, tell him, bury the bones. Amen. Amen. I want you to pray with me. Would you do it? Father, we love you. We worship you. We acknowledge your presence, your power, and your consistency to be faithful even when we are not. But I'm praying, oh God, that your living word would preach your written word. Loose my tongue to speak as well as their ears and to hear and their hearts to respond. I pray let conviction flow into this house. Let people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Let people be baptized in Jesus name we pray it all in Jesus name hallelujah hallelujah all right high five your neighbor before you're seated tell him make it rain my God I feel the Holy Ghost ah then there was a famine in the days of David. David was anointed king. But we have to understand that as David was leading a nation into revival away from the, the, the previous leadership and now he is leading this nation to revival and it's some, some three decades down the road but the Bible said that there was a famine in the days of David. And after years of having revival in that nation, the nation of Israel is growing, but they come to a hiccup, a bump in the road, if you will, that, that a famine is, is simply this. A famine is where you are not getting out of the field what you are putting into it. 
of famine is when you are sowing the seed, you are doing the work, but the ratio is not right. You are not getting out of the field what energy you're putting into it. And that's okay for one year, but David comes what seemingly is just a bad year, and he realizes that three years later they're still in a famine, and the Bible makes it very plain that it was year after year for three years. It wasn't just a bad year. It wasn't just a fluke, but it was a spiritual deficit that they were in. They were applying their faith, but they were not getting out of the field what faith they were putting into it. And that would last for maybe a year, but when it's year after year, can I tell you as the people of God, you can be faithful, but become faithless. When you are consistently investing and you are sacrificing, into your field but you're not getting out of it what you're putting into it not saying that there wasn't any fruit not saying that God wasn't blessing to a degree but the ratio was not right and there are times where you just feel like you're putting more into a relationship than you're getting out of it You're putting more into your prayer life than what answers are coming back to you. I can can tell you with the amount of faithfulness that is here and consistency and sacrifice, you have to understand the Bible does say that if you reap or if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. But what happens when, when, when the ratio is not right? And you are faithful, but become faithless. That leaves the door open for fear to begin to creep in. And fear will cause you to question, are you in the will of God? Fear will cause you, am I in the right place? Am I in the right field? But I'm here to tell, I felt to share with somebody today that you are in the right field. God has you exactly where he wants you. But why is there a famine year after year after year? Why am I putting so much in but getting very little out? That can only last for so long that we would live in this spiritual deficit. But David, being the sensitive leader that he was, was willing to ask the difficult questions and say, God, why? Not why am I in the right place. He began to ask why is there a famine because we know God's word says that if we sow bountifully, we'll reap bountifully. But why is there a famine? Why do I feel like I'm putting more in than I'm getting out? And David said, because David maybe thought, is it something I'm doing wrong? Am I not praying enough? Do I need to pray more? Do I? Well, what is the deal? And God relays to David, David, I know you've questioned yourself. You've questioned your motives. But he said to David, it's not you. But it was because of Saul and his bloody house and what he did to the Gibeonites. Saul was the first king of Israel. That he started out right, but his heart went wrong. And he represented the kingdom. But he only had a form of a king, but not the heart of one. And and what God said to David was that, he said, it's not you, David. It's, it, it's somebody else. So what Saul did to the Gibeonites, there was injustice. There was trust that was broken. And what happened in the past, he sang, David, has the potential to hold hostage your future, your past uh, unresolved issues, if you will, can imprison what I've promised. So he said, you've got to go back and make things right before you can move forward. And I'm here to tell you the thing that King Saul did, Translation going on? Amen. Espirito Santo está aquí. Como el fuego. That's all I got. I emptied the bank. Su nombre es Jesús. All right, that's all. That's it. But here's the deal what Saul did. He had the form of religion, but he didn't have the heart of a king. So what he tried to do, the Bible said, in his zeal, he killed the Gibeonites. 
in his zeal. Because what had happened was he had disobeyed God and he didn't do a direct order. And here's what he did that sometimes we to compensate for his disobedience. That's why the famous scripture, 1 Samuel 15, 22, where he says that obedience is better than sacrifice. Not that they should be competing ideas. They should be, I think like Brother Strader said, hand in hand. But the, he said, he said sa- or obedience is better than sacrifice. So what he is saying is that sometimes you can sacrifice over here to compensate for disobedience over here. Almost if I'm trying to sacrifice to distract God from what I'm not doing that He's asked me to do. It's like I remember when I, I was dating. I was single, ready to mingle. And I was, I was dating a girl that everybody knew that I, I ought not to have been dating her. But I, 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 even my pastor didn't like it. But I'm going to pray more though. Don't worry pastor. I'm going to pray I'm going to fast. And I went on a fasting campaign and a prayer campaign. And I was sacrificing hours of prayer. I was sacrificing three days a week for six months. I, I mean, but here's the deal. I sacrificed trying to distract God from my disobedience. Amen. But I knew it wasn't the will of God. That's what Saul did. And the Bible said in his zeal, he was going to destroy anything that was not like him. But what he did in the process was he broke a covenant Israel had with the Gibeonites. So he represented authority that had broken trust. And they swept it under the rug. You can't find a record of it in your Bible. Nobody was talking about it. And therefore, it was undealt with unresolved issues that was transferred on to the next administration. But can I tell you, David, it's not anything that you've done wrong, but it's because of something unresolved in the past. But because David, as a representation of the kingdom, he was the current king of Israel. It's not the reason why he was responsible for making things right. It's not because he did anything wrong, but because of who he represented, who he was. This king of Israel, listen, was responsible to make right what that king of Israel did. And I'm telling you, that's what I believe is our obligation as the church. Is that we, although we did not do the wrong, it is our responsibility to make things right. There are people that have had bad experiences with religion. They've had bad experience with so-called Christianity but the true living God the God of heaven has a real church on earth here in Watertown and your responsibility here and now is to make things right with those who have had bad religion, religious experiences so I'm saying somebody you've not had the full on harvest and revival not because you've done something wrong but the unresolved issue of bad religious experiences not that you've done anything wrong but because of who you represent it's your responsibility to make things right to go hand in hand with those people David he understood what it was going to take to make things right because year after year he said if we keep going the way we're going we're going to end up in such a spiritual deficit that we won't be able to climb ourselves out so he said what do we got to do so he went to the Gibeonites and he said what do we have to do to make things right and he uses this word what do we have to do to make atonement that's a New Testament word the atonement, making it right with our, with you know, like our sins and the unresolved issues of our past because of Adam. Hear me, somebody. What do we got to do to make the atonement? They said, let seven of his sons be hung up. Seven of Saul's son be hung up. And he said, deal. It's done. 
You can have them because they were saying the world that had been hurt, their trust had been broken by a bad experience with religion. They're saying, we don't want anything that resembles the one that hurt us. But you, David, why did God choose David? Because the people will, pro- the people will project onto their present what their past has done to them. So it's going to take this king of Israel to undo what that king of Israel had done. So I'm here to tell you that's what people do. That's why in the Bible, in John chapter 14, verse 22, this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible because it saved my life. Because Judas, how many know about Judas? You ever heard of Judas? Judas? He betrayed Jesus, right? We all know Judas. He betrayed Jesus, low-down, dirty dog. And he kissed him and said, you know, betrayed him with a kiss, 30 pieces of silver. But if you read John chapter 14, verse 22, the Bible says that, that Judas has already left the table to go and betray Jesus. But John 14, 22 says that, and Judas... Yeah, there it is. Judas. Jesus is sitting around with his 12 disciples, and Judas leaves to go betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Right? But then, in the very next chapter, at the very same table, it says Judas, not a scared Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple. There was two Judases at Jesus' table. One left to betray him, but the other, John was making the point. He stopped and put in parentheses, not Iscariot. This Judas is not that Judas. What he was trying, he understood people were going to read Judas and they were going to thank 30 pieces of silver. They were going to read Judas and they were going to thank betrayal by a kiss. But John had to stop long enough for the reader to catch up with the fact that this Judas is not that Judas. This Judas is going to be faithful. This Judas is going to be with you till the end but this Judas is not that Judas and that's what you've got to get this world to understand that this king of Israel is not that king of Israel. This church is not that church. Hey, this faith is not that Somebody, you got to hear me. I know you may have been a part of some Christianity or some some form of it, but this king of Israel is not that king of Israel. Hey! I'm speaking to Watertown right now. There may be a lot of churches that you've tried, but this Judas is not that Judas. This king of Israel. It's what psychologists or counselors will call transference. Where people tend to transfer their trauma from their past and project it onto people in their present and say, Well, if you I've been done that way in the past, I've been done dirty back then, you're probably gonna do me dirty now. So we hold ourselves and we keep ourselves away from opening our hearts ever again. But David, if you are willing to make the atonement, if you're willing to make things right, whatever it takes seven sons anything that resembles what hurt me we want it and they hung them in a tree and made the atonement this is a biblical principle that we must understand listen this church isn't that church this pastor this bishop is not that ministry that hurt you Okay, And these are authority figures, men of God. And just because some man hurt you doesn't mean every man's going to hurt you. Just because somebody couldn't keep their promises doesn't mean that they will not do their very dead level best to keep their word. So hear me, whatever we're willing to project onto people, we'll project onto God as well. Because if we're willing to put on this king of Israel what that king of Israel did, we'll ultimately put it on that king of Israel. 
But seven sons are hung up. They're hung in a tree. And the atonement has been made. But watch, watch this. Because something innocent, to make atonement, something innocent always has to die in place of the guilty. It started in Genesis, and it goes all the way through Revelation where Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Can I tell you, to make the atonement, something innocent has to die in place of the guilty. So that's why Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's why these innocent boys had to hang on a tree like Jesus. He would come in the likeness of sinful flesh, in resemblance of, just like the Saul's son, as they were in the likeness of their father they would die on that tree innocent in place of the guilty so was it with Jesus Christ as he would try to make the atonement for the unresolved issue of sin he would hang in a tree he was in the likeness in resemblance of sinful flesh and why he died on that tree he made the atonement innocent place of the guilty and David did whatever it took But here's the deal. There was a corporate atonement that was made. But it wasn't enough just for something innocent to die in place of the guilty. And there to be a corporate atonement. There had to be personal application of the corporate atonement that was made. Because while David did his part. Seven sons are hung up in the tree. Innocent has died in place of the guilty. But watch this now. Watch this. Innocent has died in place of the guilty, but it still isn't reigning. David's like, I've done my part. What am I supposed to do now? It's not reigning. I know I, I heard Brother Strader. He, he, he let me know he was preaching here. He, he told me. He talked about some miracle roof. Miracle. Miracle with a leaky roof. There it is. Right? And I'm preaching about make it rain. So we better get a miracle fast. But watch now. Watch this. This is, this is so amazing. Because yes, the atonement has been made. There is innocent that has died in place of the guilty. Somebody has hung in a tree just for shawl. But there's a problem. There was a lady named... Rizpah. Those were her sons. So now all all that happened was the pain was just passed around. The land cannot have rain. Because there was something in the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 21 and 22. And if a man have committed sin worthy of death and he be put and be put to death and thou hang him on a tree. Watch what it says. His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for inheritance. He's saying, listen, if you don't bury those bones, if you don't deal with the unresolved issues that are just lingering still in the air, Rizpah, she watch, things would try to come and mess with her babies, but she would drive it off and she was protecting her past pain, unwilling to deal with the unresolved issues that are just lingering in the air. But as long as those bones are not buried, the land will not have rain. There will be a curse on the land. The curse will keep them from having harvest and they will continue in a spiritual deficit. But watch. you got to take them down. So I could relate this to baptism. I I really could because Romans 6 and 4, it says that we're buried. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism unto death. It's not enough for you to acknowledge the corporate atonement that Jesus has made by hanging on a tree. But Jesus was taken off of that tree and He was buried in a grave that He might experience a resurrection power. That, that, that is a picture for us like Rizpah. It's not enough for the innocent to die in place of the guilty and us have a corporate awareness of it. But we have got to take that and then we've got to bury it. 
And baptism is the way that we identify with Jesus' burial. And we are baptized into death. Hear me. There was an unresolved issue that he took care of by dying on that tree. And we have to now have a personal application of baptism as identifying with his burial. It's not enough to, well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I understand the corporate atonement that he has made. No, but there must be personal application where you take the bones of the unresolved issue of sin and you bury it over here in that watery grave of baptism. That is what's going to release the rain. Hallelujah. We are buried with him in baptism. Oh, God, help me right now. But here's what I want you to understand. I love it. You got the scripture prompted up there, but it's okay, good, cool, because I'm all right. But there is another, another set of bones that must be buried. First, it's sin by baptism. But then there's some unresolved issues. Some unforgiveness possibly. Because Rizpah feels like her pain is personal. And she's got to have her boys right up there. But you understand the unresolved issues, the things that we're not willing to deal with. The pain of our past, our hurts, our broken trust. If we don't bury those bones, the remains of our past realities that we've come from and now we're here but there are things back there that you brought with you here and if they are not buried if they are not resolved there's unforgiveness there are wounds that have not yet been turned into words so that you can be healed it's Jesus oh God help me because the reason why your wounds have to become words, not in an accusational manner, but they have to come out of your heart. And the only way some things will come out of your heart is when they have to, they have to come out of your mouth. For out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaketh. So there's some, uh, there's some unresolved issues. But when, when, you, when you turn your wounds into words, that's when you can begin to heal. Confess your faults one to another. Praying for one another that ye may be healed. James 5 and 16. Hear me somebody today. We understand taking care of our sin. And confessing our sin to God. But we're very hesitant to confess our faults one to another. So we're forgiven but we're not yet healed. So we may have experienced forgiveness, but the other set of bones is unforgiveness. So as long as those bones are up there, there's a curse on our land. So one person's unforgiveness can hold hostage a harvest. Let me show you. To whom... 2 Corinthians 2 and 10, watch this. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. This is Paul talking to the people he's trying to help. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgave it. For your sakes forgive I if For your sakes, he said. Go back. He said... For your sakes forgive I it in the person of Christ. Because he realized my unforgiveness has the power to hold you hostage. But watch what he says. Next verse. I've got to forgive you. Why? Lest Satan should get an advantage of... 
See, the only way that Satan gets an advantage of us, if we refuse to forgive with the forgiveness that we have received, if we just let the bones hang and linger there, I'm telling you because there are some past wounds that are just lingering in your conscious mind or even subconscious mind. They're just lingering there. And what she did when anything got close to it, she said, get away from it. Don't touch it. It's too soon. It hurts too much. I don't want to talk about that abuse. I don't want to talk about the molestation. I don't want to talk about it. And when you are refusing to deal with the unresolved issue, you can be holding my family hostage while you are destroying yours at the same time. You hear what I'm saying? That's how Satan gets an advantage of an apostolic church. Is that there's unresolved issues still hanging up and bones that we've not yet buried. See, it's no coincidence. Uh, uh, Notice, and God showed me this when I kind of came in. I came in a little bit earlier before I got to the hotel and I went to the gym. Anytime fitness. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I was going to witness to somebody, but there was nobody in there. I was like, all right. But as I got in there, I like to get in. I like to feel an area. I like to, I kind of, you can get a lot of idea what kind of people are in a city by going to Walmart. And the gym. And I went there and there was nobody there. And I'm running on the treadmill. I'm thinking about this. And I started thinking about Rispa driving away the birds of the air. Protecting her past pain because she doesn't want anybody to touch it. And she's driving away the birds of the air and the beast of the field. And the Lord just quickened my mind. And, And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. There are two references to birds of the air being unclean spirits in the New Testament. And then I thought, wait a minute. If birds of the air are unclean spirits, what are the beasts of the field? Well, Paul said that he had fought with the beast of Ephesus, and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Theologians have said the beast of Ephesus that he might have fought, might have been referring to men that had false doctrine that was causing or uh, uh, making their motives impure. So l- let me say it like this, that, that if you don't deal with the unresolved issues of where you came from and what had happened in your past, how people had lied and they've broken their trust. If all you do when somebody gets near it is you, you're swat. If you protect your pain, you're leaving the door open for unclean spirits and false doctrine. And I don't want to be so busy as the apostolic church that all we do is fight off unclean spirits and fight off false doctrine because we are in in reality, all we're doing is protecting ourselves from the past pain, the unforgiveness, the things that people did to us. Listen, I've been hurt. I had to forgive my own father for when he died because because I felt like he chose drugs over raising me and my sister. He used to beat mom. He used to do all kinds of garbage. But I had to forgive him because I felt like he rejected me. I had to forgive men of God in my past because of the daggers that they stuck in my heart when they said words to me that they ought not have said. But hear me, when I was willing to go there, I was willing to bury the bone. What in reality was happening, there was a closing of a door because God didn't want me wasting all my energy fighting false doctrine by night and unclean spirits by day. You want to know how those things get into a life? I'll tell you, everybody. In it, now I don't want to say everybody, but I'll tell you, there's a good majority of people that walk away from this faith, this doctrine, this belief. Why? Because of hurts that they refuse. Refused to 
give to Jesus. It was wounds that they never turned into words. They buried it in their heart, but they never buried the bones. Why? Why? Don't want to go there. That's why, listen, Luke 17 and 4. And if he, if he who, your brother, if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, seven times in a day, turn again to thee saying, I repent. Wait a minute. If he comes to you and says, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. How many times a day? Seven? How many sons of Saul were there? Atonement that has already been made. But unforgiveness that's still lingering in the air. That is, I believe the rain's trying to fall, but it's hitting. It's hitting that unforgiveness and can't find the soil. I can see it in the Spirit right now. I can see that God is wanting to pour out His Spirit like never before. But there is this umbrella of unforgiveness. Because people, you've come here. and You've come from every different walk of life. You've come from every different geographical location but you are here in the will of God but why is there still a famine because we've refused to deal with the unresolved issues he said seven times if it comes you're going to forgive him seven times but watch the next verse watch and the apostles said unto the Lord increase our faith You want to know why? Because they realized we need more faith because we don't know how to forgive in our flesh. I'm telling you, if you're going to forgive and get free from what people did to you, what they said, how it made you feel from the broken trust, I'm telling you, here's how you're going to get free. It's going to take what little faith you had left, you were planning on investing in the field, and why don't you vest it this service, that faith into forgiving your father, forgiving your brothers, forgiving, oh, that that, that ex-spouse, forgiving that, that person in ministry that hurt you. You've got to forgive. Take what little faith and say, God, increase our faith. Jesus' name. I don't know. I'm probably going to need a piano player because I'm, 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 I'm almost done. I'm, I'm right there. I remember it was in Aberdeen, South Dakota, not too far from here. I don't even know which way it is. Northwest, okay. I was there in a service and there was a lady that had been crippled for 30 years. Bent over with a walker. I don't know where she is now. I don't know what happened to her. What I do know is that she was there crippled with a walker. She said that she had been like that for 30 years. And I watched her come up to an altar. And when she came up to an altar, you know what she did? She brought her walker and she bent over just like this. And I watched as she turned her wounds into words. And she said, I forgive them. And when she forgave them, all of a sudden, I watched that crippled back begin to straighten as she stood and began to back away from her walker and she raised her hands with perfect balance. I'm here to tell you because sometimes unforgiveness can manifest itself in a broken body. But once she released and turned her wounds into words, it released the supernatural, the presence of God and I'm here to tell you that same thing can happen to a body that is poised for greatness but is being held hostage by hurts I forgive them would you stand with me all over this house You ready? Verse 12 of 2 Samuel chapter 21. 
I don't know if there's somebody online that right now where you're sitting, listen very closely. Because forgiveness needs to sweep into our homes as well. But the Bible said David realized that if she don't bury her bones, we can't move forward. The rain's not going to fall. So what David did being the leader that not only had the form of a king, but he had a heart for God's people. He understood as long as she doesn't bury the bones, there's unresolved issues, abuse, broken trust, lies. Until she buries those bones and has a funeral for unforgiveness. We're going to be stuck. But David, being the man of God that he was, he said if she's going to bury the bones, he realized how difficult that was going to be. So you know what David did? David went and he took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from... listen. David went and got some bones of his own. And he went and got the bones of Saul because Saul didn't only hurt the Gibeonites, Saul had wounded David. And he went 30, David went 30 years backwards into his past. And he got the bones of Saul. And he got the bones of Jonathan. And he said, I can't expect you to bury your bones if I'm not willing to bury mine. Those, you, those bones of Saul and Jonathan, they should have been buried. Un unresolved issues. So I'll be honest with you. This last couple of years, since 2020, to famine. And I began to ask God, why? Why are we not getting out of the field what we're putting into it? We're praying more than we've ever prayed. We're fasting. We're giving. We're sacrificing. But I want my sacrifice to be as effective as it can be. And the Lord said, Ryan, there's some bones you haven't buried. So I had to go back in my past and go back. And I started down the line from my father and people that had left my life. And I went down. I went through ministry. People that I looked up to that literally they hurt me so deeply, betrayed me. I went through all through the line and I said, Father, and it's like I gathered up all these bones. And he said, Ryan, you can't expect my people to bury the bones if you won't acknowledge the bones you've not buried. So I got them all together. And I had to go through a process of turning my wounds into words and getting them out of my heart and getting them out of my head. So what David did, he went down to some folks. And he said, listen, I'm not going to expect you to bury those bones if I'm not going to bury bones. So he grabbed Rispa by the hand. He said, get your bones and I'll get my bones. And he took 30 years of hurt, running and being rejected. 30 years. And they came together and they began to bury those bones. And the moment that they buried the bones, the Bible said the, the rain began to fall on their harvest. I'm telling you, ma'am, today is our day. It's going to be difficult, Rispa, for you to go there. It's going to be difficult for you to say, I forgive them. Because they don't deserve forgiveness, but neither did I. So, ma'am, we're going to bury these bones today. Jesus Church, you've given too much.
You've sacrificed too much and you're about to sacrifice more. But if you sacrifice without bearing the bones, you will have a spiritual deficit you will not be able to climb out of. It'll ruin your family. It'll mess with your marriage. So today, I want you to reach over to somebody where maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a guest. And I want you to reach over to them and let them know it's time to bury the bones. But make the commitment you're not going to have to bury those bones alone right now reach over grab your family grab your wife right now grab somebody and say today we got to bury these bones we got to take care of some unresolved issues because the rain needs to fall in Watertown so somebody right now I want you to step out of your pew I want you to make your way up to this altar please come I know this is a little intense, but please just come and acknowledge, yes, God's made a corporate atonement, but I've got to apply that atonement to my life. I've got to bury the bones. Come on, search your heart. Come on, right now, every saint of God, begin to search your heart like David. Is there any bones 30 years ago? Is there any bones 20 years ago? 17. Oh, come on, somebody. He knows where you were 12 years ago. He knows what was said. He knows. Come on, every leader, let there be reconciliation in your heart. But search your Search the bow. That's it. Come on, after that, God is going to be entreated for the land. Come on, turn your wounds. Turn your wounds into words right now. You may feel overlooked, underutilized, but God said, bury the bone. Come on, somebody cry out, God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin, everything I've done wrong. I don't want just dead religion. I don't want just a form of religion that hurt me. That's it. Just close your eyes and search your heart right now. God, is there anything that I haven't forgiven somebody for? Come on, there's never been a time that I've searched my heart and hadn't found something. There's never been a time that I've searched my heart and haven't found something. Come on, reach over to your neighbor, begin to pray. Oh God, a prayer of agreement that we're going to bury these bones, that we're going to deal with these unresolved issues, this abuse, this lies, the rejection.
Come on, lift your hands as a sign of surrender right now. I want you to hear me. There's one more part to this. Because I'm going to help you to forgive. Because like I said, there's never been a time where I began to search my heart and I didn't find someone to forgive. Because life happens. But a lot of times we've, we've pressed it down into our unconscious minds. We don't remember it because we don't want to remember it. They've done studies and they found people that have been abused when they were younger and the abuse was so severe that they literally cannot remember it because as a defense mechanism, they pressed it down. But what happens when famine happens and it shakes your faith, you know what it does? It shakes loose your unconscious mind and it brings things back up into your subconscious mind. So you can deal with it. But I feel as a man of God, I've got to do something. I feel as a father, as a husband, that I've got to do something to help you forgive. On behalf of ministry, on behalf of men, fathers who weren't there, person that's betrayed you on behalf of them I'm asking you forgive us for we didn't know what we were doing we don't get it right all the time we're not perfect on behalf of Christianity there are times that they had they they tried to do their best with what they knew, but they got it wrong and they hurt. But on behalf of Christianity, on behalf of fathers and, and, and husbands and ministry, please forgive us. Don't hold on to all this junk. So right now I'm giving you permission to bury the bones to forgive to release because God told me when they were like rain on this whole area so please would you forgive us forgive our fathers forgive our spouses forgive those that hurt us right forgive the church Come on, I speak it over Watertown. Forgive us. Forgive us. Come on, I'll stand in place of those that hurt you saying, forgive us. Come on, let your kids see you forgiving that brother. Let your kids see you forgiving that person. Come on, somebody, you need to forgive somebody you lost. You need to forgive somebody you lost. Well, he didn't ask forgiveness. I just did in their place. Forgive that person you lost. You want to know why you've got to forgive that person that you lost? Because you felt like they betrayed you when they left this world. So I forgive them. I release them. I'm not going to hold on to that pain. Come on, lift it up to Jesus right now. Lift it up. Lift your voice up to Jesus right now. Those wounds are becoming words. And I'm telling you, when those wounds become words, on the other side, it's going to be wisdom. On the other side, it's going to be wisdom. Come on, somebody, you're struggling in your mind because of the unresolved issues. But God can bring healing to your mind. He had a crown of thorns so that you could have a helmet. 
of salvation. I see it on you, young lady. Let it happen right now. He told Omosiah. 